Before we begin, we acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and the continuing connection to lands, waters and communities. We pay our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and elders, past, present and emerging. Welcome to Taking Care, a podcast of opera and the national boards. I'm Susan Bigger. So today we're talking about lived experience of mental health. It's a topic which we think is, well, it's pretty topical right now in 2021, as we're trying here in Australia to chart our way out the other side of the pandemic. Not only will good mental health be important for all of us in facing this really ongoing uncertainty in the changing post-COVID world, but also as a society, we may be facing an unprecedented wave of mental health problems as a byproduct of the pandemic. My guest today understands the challenges of poor mental health from the perspective of someone who has lived it personally, as well as committing much of her life to working in the mental health sector. Maggie Toko is the CEO of Vimiac, the peak Victorian organization for people with a lived experience of mental health problems or emotional distress. Welcome, Maggie. I'm honored to have you here today. I'd say kia to everyone and also acknowledge the traditional owners of custodians of the land on which I meet today, which are the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and acknowledge their elders past, present and emerging, and that their lands and seas have never been ceded. Um, I'd also say that I'm from Aotearoa, I'm Indigenous to Aotearoa. I'm from the Nasifatu and Napui Tainui tribe and iwi. I'm also an Australian citizen. I didn't want to be uh, non-political in this country. And I thought that uh, one way of being able to um, have my say was to be able to vote. I wonder if you could begin by telling us a bit about um, yourself and your own life experiences that led to your involvement with Vimiac. Throughout my life, I've had uh, psychosis um, and it started when I was quite young but I never actually got to a psychiatrist until I was 40. Um, up until then I'd seen healers and uh, it was dealt with within my own culture. Once I actually saw a psychiatrist uh, I ended up in the public mental health system and I could truly say that my life went downhill from that point. Uh, I'd always been working, so I'd been working for a number of years in uh, youth and uh, homelessness um, and sexual assault. I'd been working in all those areas and uh, actually had a job at that time when I was diagnosed. I, had, I was the general manager for youth services for the Salvation Army in Victoria. I ended up on this road for like 10 years of just in and out of hospital the whole time and um, tried lots of medications and they didn't work. I had really bad side effects from many of the medications. Uh, one of the medications uh, sort of which is used for called clozapine, I actually had an allergic reaction to that, nearly died. It's quite a serious medication to be on, can really work for some people but it didn't work for me and I nearly died. But essentially 10 years of going back and forward into hospital, probably three or four times a year, being really sick. And I still worked during that time. Um, I left the Salvos and I took on a part-time job as a youth worker. I started off with 
uh, I think five days a fortnight and then built up to seven days a fortnight and then eventually built up to full time. But my mental health was all over the place during that time. And the psychiatrist at the time, who I had for 18 years, kept on saying to me, look, you need to leave work. You're not going to be able to work again and stay at home. And I just thought, no, I'm more than that. I'm more than staying at home, doing nothing. And work gives me something, even if it, even if I'm going to hospital back and forward, it still gives me something that's normal. So I stayed working and uh, eventually I came to some normality in my life that uh, enabled me to... Uh, go on to become the manager of that youth resi rehab and manage a couple of other youth resi rehabs, and that was for co-health. And I was able to go on and do other things to the point now where I'm CEO. Can you talk a bit, Maggie, about how your own experience of living with mental ill health may have shaped your thinking about things like stigma and access to good mental health care? It's, it's interesting today when I think about that, when I think about stigma, uh, my GP, who is a fantastic support to me, and, and I will say that really part of my recovery has been for the four Ps in my life. That is my physician, my psychotherapist, psychiatrist, and my partner. And without those four Ps, I don't know where I would have been, quite honestly, even though I used to get annoyed with my psychiatrist I still kept on going to him because I thought there's something I can learn from this the psychotherapist I have for 18 years was fantastic and I'm very fortunate to have had the same person for that length of time and they really were the essential ingredient in my life um, they helped me work through what stigma was and stigma is where you for me where I would go for some jobs and be told uh, we'd like you for the job, but we think it'd be too stressful for you. Having schizophrenia, it's, it might be really difficult for you to deal with things. And the more I heard that, the more annoyed I got and the more determined I got that that wasn't going to continue to happen to me. And I never shied away from disclosing my mental health issue. What I would say to people is, it's a component of who I am. It's not who I am. I've got diabetes. That's a component of who I am. It's not who I am. It's not the be all and end all of who I am. But it certainly influences where I go and what and how I think. You've worked with people who are dealing with all sorts of difficult issues, like homelessness, for example. How do these things affect the path to good mental health? Good mental health is hard to come by sometimes. It really is. And we've just seen a Royal Commission into Mental Health that's saying that the system is broken and that we need to we need to rejig it, we need to restart it, we need to revamp it. And and I think going forward, many people will have opportunity to have good mental health because we're talking now, we, we're a generation that talks in terms of health and well-being. So that takes in the social determinants of what's going on with you. So it's not just once upon a time it was if we clear your mind, everything else will follow. But, of course, it doesn't because while your mind is broken, your housing breaks down. 
your relationships break down, your employment breaks down. It's about how to get those things back on track so that you can have good mental health and enjoy the quality of life that you deserve. And every consumer that comes to Vimeo deserves a quality of life better than often what is handed out to them. I know for me, when I'm at my lowest point, I can't reason what is okay. I can't read into somebody's interactions with me that they're not going to harm me. I can't reason somebody's uh, reactions that I'm not going to harm them. And, and when you're in that space, it's a difficult space to uh, manoeuvre because it's not a quick fix. This is the other thing. People, you know, you hear people say, oh, just take a pill or just chill. You, it, it's, you can't do that. It doesn't happen like that. Um, you can't just chill out. It doesn't work like that. Uh, you know, and a pill might take six weeks to actually help you to interact if you take pills at all. Some people will choose not to, and that's their choice. I'm on oral medication that I don't always take because sometimes I feel really good and I think, oh, I don't need that anymore. But after a couple of weeks, I know that I actually need to go back on it again. I'm also on the depot injection and have been for, I don't know, 10 years. And um, that and the orals maintain me. But good mental health maintains me as well, that I know that I'm a good person, that I'm a worthy person. And there are so many people out there who are homeless, who are destitute, who don't know that about themselves. And society impacting on them actually reinforces that they're not a good person when in actual fact they are. Maggie, could, could you tell us a story of when sharing your own life experiences was powerful for the person you were working with as well as for you? I think about a situation, there was a, there was a young bloke we were working with, he was 18 years old, and he was having a very fluid uh, psychotic episode. Didn't want to see the CAT team, didn't want to see the psychiatrist, didn't want to see the doctor, didn't want to see anybody. And really quite aggressive, he was finding it very difficult. And I had never disclosed to any of my clients up until that point that I had mental health issues. So I went around to his unit and saw him, and he was pacing up and down. And, and I just sat there really calmly, and I said to him, you know, I think I know how you feel. He said, what do you mean? And I said, well, you know, I too have been through what you're going through now, when you don't trust anyone, when life just sucks. And voices are telling you to do terrible things to yourself and to others. And he said, yeah. And I said, I too know what that's like. But I also know that even though the cat team isn't everything that we want it to be, sometimes it's the best thing that we can use at the time. And I'm really thinking that I worry about you. And I think that the CAT team is a team that needs, it's important for you to see them. It's important for you to hear what they have to say. They might not have all your answers, but I think they can help you. 
And after some more conversation like that, he agreed to see the CAT team. He went with me in the car and he hadn't been able to sit in the car calmly uh, up until that point. And we saw the CAT team and they admitted him into hospital and he was okay because he got to make those choices. But really it was the experience that I knew he was going through that broke through that mould. And from that point on, and he never told anybody else what I had told him, but eventually I told all the clients that I had a lived experience. It, it really forged my relationship with all those young people after that. And they would then go and tell other young people and say, look, if you've got a problem, Maggie will understand what that's about. Can you explain to us why that is important? Why is it important to have people with the um, lived experience in these roles and in these places? Well, it's no different to Black Lives Matter. You know, why shouldn't black people lead black people? So why shouldn't lived experience lead lived experience people? In fact, why shouldn't black people be able to lead all people? And why shouldn't lived experience be able to lead all people? That's the difference. That's the importance of it. It's allowing people to have freedom and choice. It's, it's a really important, significant shift in the mental health system to do that. If you're enjoying this discussion, I think you might love our conversation with Kate Richards, an award-winning author and medical researcher who trained as a doctor. It's called A View of Mental Health from Both Sides. Have a listen. Us as patients on the, on the mental health ward, if someone just came out and sat with us, we remembered that and, and it made a difference. In, in many ways, it was those small things that I still remember even 15 years later. Back to Maggie. In many ways, mental health has sort of led the way in, in this consumer space, wouldn't you say, in terms of the um, consumer advocates, lived, lived experience advocates. It was really in mental health where we've seen that before anything else across the health system. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, advocates have been, again, advocates have been around for years, and uh, but, they're, but they're truly coming into their own now where they're recognised and identified and qualified and seen as experts in their own lives. That's fantastic. It is fantastic. And can, can you talk more, maybe more broadly about what you think is working well in mental health services generally? There are some fantastic individuals out there who are in the clinical space, they're trying to make things better for consumers. They're trying to be different to same old, same old. Being open to giving consumers choice and control over their lives, paying attention to what they need and what they say they need and hearing them and then implementing changes from that. That's what's positive. I think I go back to when I worked with young people and so on, and there were the mobile support teams where those clinicians really got where the young people were at in their own space and their own time. I've known psychiatrists over the years who, who have stepped outside their zone to uh, engage with young people where they're coming from. It has made all the difference. And so there are people out there doing that. 
my personal experience, the clinicians who I have had dealings with, and I've had dealings with many over the years, there would only be one or two who uh, fell out of favour with me. The rest have been fa fantastic. They've really they've met me where I where I needed to be met. And many have come on the journey with me. My GP is an example. I've had him for oh, 20 years. And he's just, uh, and he tells me every time I see him, and I go to him fortnightly for my injection, and he tells me every time he sees me, he goes, you are my shining example today. Shining example of somebody who can make it, regardless of what's going on. And um, so he, he brightens up my day when he says that, and I obviously brighten up his day. So it goes both ways. You've spoken a lot today about young people and working with them. It's clearly, it's clearly a critical time for developing good mental health that will last their life. Could you talk to us about that? One of the um, guiding principles for me, I guess, when I work with young people, and I worked with them for about 20 years, was to keep them alive until they were 18 and then keep them alive till they were 20 so that they could see that they had more choice in life. And there were some who we weren't able to do that for, but there were more who we could do that for. And just that extra two years, just living to 20, gave them so much more choice and gave them a thought that they could maybe live to 25. And so, and I still have connections with many of those young people who are now, you know, they're, they've got part, they're partnered up, they've got kids, they're living in a world that they didn't think they'd get to live in. And I'm very fortunate to have that experience. You've sort of helped them through that really dark tunnel time to a bit of light and a bit more and a bit more. I don't, I don't know if I helped them. I think that I sat there while they went on their journey. Not really about helping them. It's about just holding holding the space while they explore all the things they need to explore. And when you're young, you need to explore millions of things. And so you need people around you who let you explore those things without trying to stop you. Because sometimes you just got to learn, learn the way that you learn. People don't always learn by example. They learn by practice. I'm very fortunate to have still have relationships with young people. What do you see, uh, Maggie, as your own legacy as you move on from Vimeac? What I tend to say to people is that when I'm cooking the barbecue at Vimeac and consumers are eating a sausage, that any work that we have produced at Vimeac, they can read and understand and know that it's about them and that they're okay with that. So if I leave nothing else, it's just a, a good barbecue for the next CEO and uh, a really warm feeling about the people that I've served. But what would be your greatest hope into the future for people who are experiencing mental health problems? That they are all able at some point to feel free, to feel acknowledged, and to be recognised as experts in their own life for everyone with a mental health issue so that it's, so they can get any job that they want, that they can get any house that they want, 
that they can get any, they, they can form any relationship that they want. And if they can do that, then we would have done the right thing. The society would have done the right thing by everyone. Maggie, thank you for sharing so generously from your own wealth of personal and professional experience of mental health. We are definitely the richer for it. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode. If you have any feedback or questions, please email communications at opera.gov.au. We'd love to hear from you. If you enjoy listening to Maggie, and who wouldn't, check out our back catalog of episodes or subscribe to Taking Care wherever you find your podcasts. And we'll see you next time.